Welcome back to Revive School, everyone. Uh, my name is Fred Staten. I'm a pastor from Indiana, and uh, coming down here to Dallas to uh, preach uh, through the scriptures uh, in two years. Uh, this is in the lessons of 640 or so, and uh, we get assigned these different passages. And I'm telling you, when I saw the assignment on this passage, Kevin, um, I was like, the proverbial, how, could you preach through a phone book? Because this passage is about the similar thing to, uh, to doing that. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter 40 and 41. And at, at first glance, when you look at these passages, it is strictly the dimensions of the temple and the descriptions of a temple. And it, it looks very, very difficult to uh, kind of get something out of it and, and look at it. But I want to set it up with this question um, uh, for you guys who are sitting there. If you could be uh, just transported into a moment in biblical history and you could, um, you could see it, you could experience it, you could be there for it, what would be one of those moments? Let's just kind of talk about that for a little bit. Uh, I think I would do, I think I'd do like um, Joshua and Jericho, like just to actually see those walls come down. I think that'd be epic. See the walls fall down? I'm going with Elijah on Mount Carmel. Oh, baby. Him calling out, hey, is your God sleeping? Is mm -hmm. he sitting on the toilet? Yeah. How about you, Rich? Uh, Lazarus. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great one. I also want to flip to another one. Where, where would be some moments that you'd say, wow, that would be the last one that I would want um, I, I to be a part of or experience? Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den. It'd be great to see it afterwards, yeah. but uh, not right during it. No. I'm thinking I wouldn't want to be around when the Tower of Babel happened and I couldn't talk to anybody. I mm -hmm. think that'd be pretty pretty wild. I think the exile, like Jeremiah or like, you know, when like the, the or Lamentations, when it's talking about like they're eating their own children in the streets, just like what a horrific unbelievable thing that that must have been. Wow, I, if I could have set you up on that, you you just ran right yeah. into where I was trying to go. So yeah. thank you, thank you so much because uh, setting, setting, setting is so important. Context and scriptures are so important and there's no way to look at this passage without really understanding and fully experiencing the setting that they were in. So and if we could just kind of look back through biblical history and around the time of Abraham, it seemed like there was a blessing that went with Abraham when he was in a certain location. Do you remember that? Um, he's commanded to go to the promised land that God was going to make from him, uh, uh, you know, a great nation. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. This, this blessing goes with the land. Also, you just begin to follow Abraham's life, and you begin to see when he leaves the land, bad things happen. 
And so there's a few occasions, there's a famine and he leaves the land and kind of bad things happen and does that a, a couple times. And then, uh, you know, the whole Joseph story. And Joseph, uh, even though he's the rescuer, his people are now out of the land. And when they are out of the land, that is a bad thing for the, for the scriptures. So you see that they're now in Egypt, uh, in slavery, wouldn't you love to be at that moment? And that this would be my moment. I would love to see them uh, leave Pharaoh. <laughs> Can you imagine the party? Can you imagine the celebration that took place when they were leaving those years of being slaves and they're, they're heading out uh, towards the promised land? And so something happens as they head towards the promised land. Good things happen. As they leave, bad things happen. And so, uh, you remember they went through the Red Sea and then God sets up a place where, in a way in which God can lead them, the, the, the pillar of fire at night and the cloud uh, by day. And then there's this tabernacle, a place where God dwells. So I want to show a picture of this tabernacle because this was really important to the people. Uh, this was important to uh, their community, their way of life around this center tabernacle. Of all the tribes, three on each side would face towards the center, and God's presence was right here in the middle. And so uh, just looking at this, guys, as you're seeing the, the description or the, the picture of the tabernacle, kind of what are you seeing there? What's some obvious things? I see a lot of order and symbolism. Yeah, some symbolism, some symmetry to it. And uh, in the middle of that building, in, inside, that, uh, inside that building are an ark, a holy place, a most holy place. Um, there's some symbolism that's in there. There's, um, you know, the, the light that's in there, the, the bread, that's the table of showbread that's in there. And so you have this symbolism and they're heading towards the promised land and this tabernacle is right at the center of it. Now they... They make it there. You get go through the, a lot of the history. Uh, do you remember when, who built the first temple? Solomon. Yeah, Solomon built the first temple. So I want you to take a look at this. This is a picture of Solomon's temple. And uh, what are some things that you see that are very similar to the tabernacle that was there? Uh, Josh, what you see in there? Well, the same situation of the holy place, the most holy place, the outer court. Yeah, it, it almost it's the same layout. It almost looks exactly the same. You've got um, what's what's this on the outside here? Yeah, that's the altar. Yeah, you got the altar, and then you're heading on into the the holy place and the most holy place. Uh, you got this courtyard that's on the outside. So here's where they're at in human history. Uh, this temple was built by Solomon, and then um, the Babylonians came in and completely destroyed this temple. Now you got to think about it. the tabernacle was so important to them. This this temple was so very important to them, and it's utterly destroyed. And now they're in exile. They've left the country. There is no temple, and they're at a low place. Um, they're at a place where, like, do we have a future? Is this the end for us? Have we reached the absolute end? And so that's the setting of our scripture. So um, with no temple outside of the promised land, it says in the 25th year of our exile. Can you imagine that? 25 years of uh, being out of the country. 
at the beginning of the year, in the tenth of the month, in the fourteenth year after the fall of the city. Why does he go into um, such detail on this? He's documenting important times, so it shows, I think it's the validity, you know, like mm -hmm. on this day he was supposed to record the city was sieged. So they could see the things that he had prophesied lined up. You know, the more details that you have, the more you can trust it. So in the, on, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he took me there. Uh, verse 2, the visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel, set me on a very high mountain. So he got perspective. He's, he's now um, not looking at it from the side. He's looking down on this. On whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the, the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. Uh, he's got a tape measure with him. Um, this guy going to take him on a tour and show him some things and it's going to be really detailed. Um, so the man said to me, Son of man, look carefully and listen closely. Now, to get this scripture, we got to do both. We got to look carefully and we got to listen closely. The problem is we can't see it today. Um, it's really difficult for us to see. So even the listening closely, if you could listen closely and pay attention, I still don't think you could understand this. Uh, so I want you to put up this picture of this temple. Uh, this is Ezekiel's temple. You, seeing the picture is very important. So if you're in a place where um, you can't watch the video, I just want you to uh, Google this and find Ezekiel's temple because seeing it will help you listen to it better. Uh, so tell the people in Israel everything you see. Verse 5, I saw a wall completely surrounding the temple area. Do you see that here in the picture? I see a wall there. The length of the measuring rod in the man's hand was six cubits, six long cubits. Uh, so a cubit is about the forearm, so it's 18 inches is what we consider a cubit. So anytime you see this, um, just take six, um, add half of it, and you'll kind of get an idea in feet. So six cubits would be nine feet. Uh, each was a cubit and a hand breadth. Uh, he measured the wall and uh, measuring the rod thick and one rod high. Uh, verse six. Then he went to the east gate. He climbed its steps and he measured the threshold of the gate and it was one rod deep. He's starting to, the important thing is, as he's, as he's measuring and as he's laying all this out, there were incredibly specific instructions on how tall this is, how wide this is. And I really believe there's something to that in terms of how God speaks to us. God speaks very, very specifically to us. Um, it's one way in which I can, I can kind of discern what's my voice or versus um, uh, the, this voice in me that's defeating versus God's voice. I'll have these voices at times that go, man, you just, you're doing really bad today. Well, you'll never measure up. Uh, that's not a voice of God. That's condemnation. But God's voice is very specific, even, even when he convicts us. When he convicts us, he doesn't say, oh, you're a bad person. He says, yesterday at 3 o'clock, you lied. Um, remember that conversation? It's very specific, 
and very focused on one thing. Uh, you find that in this description, like in the spirit, he's he's get this these specific instructions about what this temple looks like. Now, I want you to look at this, and what? How does this look compared to the tabernacle, and how does it look compared to uh, what you saw in Solomon's temple? Pretty similar. Uh, pretty similar. Um, you see the temple that looks about the same shape. Um, uh, you see a, an outer border. You see a courtyard. Uh, you see an altar that's uh, right there. Inside that temple, we're, we're going to discover a holy place and a most holy place. So it just lines up from the very beginning, this tabernacle to Solomon's temple um, on into Ezekiel's temple. Here is a question we have to ask. Where is this temple or when is this temple? This is the difficult place of getting in, into this because it could be a couple different times that we think about. It could be that they're in exile and he sees this picture of a temple. It's a grand temple. It's an incredible temple. What do you think that made him feel like? at the low point of his life, to see this temple. Hopeful. Hopeful. Hope is the word right there. Was this temple, uh, the temple that he was, they were going to return back to, and it becomes uh, Herod's temple. It was the one that was in Ezra. Um, uh, so uh, this would be the temple that was around during Jesus' time, and Herod renovated it and uh, made it more grand. Uh, but the picture is is very similar. It just looks back like Solomon's temple. So was the Ezekiel vision of a temple that would one day be there. If, if that was the case, it would be encouraging. Be encouraging to the people because they would be leaving the exile and they would go back and, and see this temple. The other thing about it is um, it's prophetic because it's looking forward to Jesus. Because in this Herod's temple... One of the most incredible scenes took place in all of human history when at the moment that Jesus has died, the curtain in that temple between the holy place and the most holy place was ripped in two from top to bottom. Man, amazing, amazing moment in human history. The, sim the symbolism was absolutely incredible. So if it were just pointing to Herod's temple, that would be incredibly encouraging to them, and it would be uh, looking forward to Christ. And we could, we could just preach it on that. Uh, many have preached it on that. But there are also uh, some problems with that. Uh, one of the problems is just uh, if you go back to Ezekiel's temple, uh, it doesn't quite look exactly like that. It's more grand. It has, it, it has some other things that are added on to this. The size of it is is a real problem. It would be 750 feet uh, long and 750 feet wide. So many have pointed to this future temple, future even from our perspective, a future temple uh, that will be built. And now how does that help us? If you think about Ezekiel, uh, when there wasn't a temple and they were looking forward to a day that like they would return and there would be a temple. Well, where are we at in human history? And how does that encourage us or help us? Well, it talks about in Hebrews that we've become 
that temple. Ah, that we are that. Yeah, we are that temple. Many have looked at it uh, just that way, as the church is that temple. Um, there's also the look of this being the millennial temple uh, that will that will one day <clears throat> be in Israel. And so, the thing that encourages me with this is there's some dark days ahead of us. Like there's some really difficult days ahead of us. Today we were in a Bible study, and as we were in the Bible study, we were talking about some some moments that we will have to go through as a nation, as we will have to go through as a as the people of God. And um, I really don't want to go through some of those difficult moments. But you know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the, the end. I'm looking forward to winning. Uh, and so there's there's some incredible hope in this temple and the prophecy that takes place that's already been fulfilled once. It's already been it's already been done one time and it's going to be done again where we go through it and, and he wins. And so that gives us great hope to keep trusting in him. But there are three specific places today that I want to point out that are similar in all of the temple pictures that we've seen. We saw it in the tabernacle. We saw it um, in Solomon's temple. We saw it in, in Herod's temple. We see it in this one. One of the very first things that I, I want to look at is this courtyard that's around there. It's a huge courtyard. Um, in fact, if you take the dimensions of all of, all of them and you kind of look at them, the, the largest area is this courtyard area that takes place. There's inner courts and outer courts. There's the courts of the Gentiles. There's courts where, um, in, in some of them, where the women could go. There, uh, here's the woman's courtyard that's in Herod's temple. Uh, and so you have these different ones, and you could say, well, that's, um, that's kind of racist or segregationist. You know, like they're, uh, you know, these people can't go in this one place or that one place. You know, what we, what we can do is we can go to the throne of God by the blood of Jesus. Every single one of us can go there uh, by the blood of Jesus. But here's one thing that I've never heard anybody speak on this. Take it for what it is. But um, I think there's something really, really powerful about um, this woman's courtyard. And that what, what would be happening there? There'd be ladies gathering. And as the ladies are gathering, like they have to make an attempt to, to come close to the holy place. But the ladies are gathering, and what are they doing as they're gathering? They're talking amongst each other. They're encouraging one another. There's life that's taking place. And uh, someone once told me that the absolute best thing for a marriage is for the wife to have a girlfriend, <laughs> have somebody else that she can share with and talk with. And it's just very incredible. And uh, this is kind of lining up that way where, and it's, it's probably not the main idea or anything. I don't want to even get it to that. But man, there was life that was taking place in that courtyard. It wasn't just this you know, place to keep the women apart from everybody else. There's life that's happening in there. Another place that I think is so important is, and you see it right here in Ezekiel's temple, is the altar. If this is a future temple and Jesus has already died for us, why would we need an altar? Um, that's one of the main problems with uh, people believing that it's a future temple is that they believe that, man, it has to be pointing more to Herod's temple because sacrifices would be done in the, in the time and the era of Jesus. 
But I, I've discovered this. Um, even though Jesus has died for my sins, even though Jesus has um, uh, paid the penalty for my life, I'm still laying things on the altar. In fact, it's one of the most important things that I do. Um, what, do you, what, what, what were the descriptions of what you put on the altar? Uh, did you put your like leftovers on the altar? <laughs> did you put your, uh, you know, oh, like here, here's something I wanted to get rid of at a garage sale. I'll throw that on the altar. No, you put your first and you put your best on the altar. In fact, it was supposed to be without blemish. Uh, without blemish in your best. If you want peace in your life, if you want good things in your life, you take your first and your best, and you keep giving it to Jesus. You keep giving it to him every single day. If you gave it to him yesterday, give it to him today once again. You give him, you give him your kids. Um, you give him your careers. You give him your joys. You give him everything that's good in your life. You keep, you keep laying that on the altar. You keep laying that on the altar. It is an incredible place for it to be. Just give it to him and say, thank you that you gave it to me. I give it back to you, and the altar is a very important place. Another thing that inside the temple is this holy place, and even going further, is the most holy place. Inside the most holy place, um, the Ark of the Covenant, I like to think of that um, as the throne of God, as the very presence of God. Um, one of the descriptions of the most holy place you didn't just wander in there. Hey, like I was just taking a tour and just wanted to kind of see what's going on back here. Um, who belonged in the most holy place? The high priest, once a year. Once a year. Just once a year. Um, and, and really symbolic of what Jesus would do for us one day. And that's why the temple, the curtain was torn in two. But this, this place was reserved for God. And I've discovered this in my own life, that if there's a place, the most holy place in our life, if we reserve that for God, then we have peace. Here's the trouble. Things that are on the altar love to get in the holy place. <laughs> uh, my kids and I used to play this game. We call it King of the Mountain. King of the Mountain was um, when Cheryl left, um, all of our kids, like they, we'd run up to our bedroom. I'd lay down on the bed because when you got little kids, you're exhausted. And I'd lay down on the bed and they'd want to climb up there on the bed. And so we got to the point where we started playing uh, King of the Mountain, where if they'd climb up on the bed, I'd flick them off one by one. You know, we had four kids when we were really, really little. And so we'd, we, I'd just flick them off. And then, you know, this one would climb up on this side and this one would run. And uh, the kids, I still see pictures of them clutching to the quilt as they're hanging over the edge trying to, trying to stay up there. They love to be king of the mountain. Family and your careers, everything loves to be in the most holy place. But I'm telling you, here's the sign of when something other than God is in the most holy place. You'll be stressed about it. You'll worry about it. Um, you, they aren't, they don't deserve to sit there. And so in every heart today, there's still a most holy place that belongs to God alone. Your reputation doesn't belong on the throne. Um, your money doesn't belong on the throne. 
And what I've discovered also is that whatever is sitting on the throne of your life, um, that will determine kind of your peace and the value. And I was playing golf with a guy, and um, about halfway through the round, we went in to get a drink, and and uh, he noticed on the television screen that the stock market went down many, many points, a couple hundred points. I could see him visibly um, go down because <laughs> he lost a lot of money. And just that, that, you know, when when the stock market goes down and money's on the throne of your life, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> but when Jesus is on the throne of your life, there's peace. There's incredible peace. So this, these images of a courtyard... <laughs> Where are, are you getting together with others? And is there life happening? We were meant for each other. Is there this place where you're laying stuff on the altar and the earlier in your life that you can lay everything that's good and perfect on the altar of, uh, you know, and say, God, I give it back to you, um, the more peace there will be. But then uh, as we move on into the holy place, that holy place belongs to God alone. I love it that there is these candle stands, these um, the menorah kind of picture. Uh, I love that uh, in John chapter 8, I think verse 12, it says, Jesus said, I am the way of life. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Um, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. There's a table of showbread. And in John chapter 6, he's like, I am the bread of life. You know, that's... That, that, that Jesus, it's a picture of him and his life that's there. And so do you see this? Um, you know, we got nine chapters that we're going to have to waddle through here, kind of look through. And there's just rods and uh, cubits and descriptions. And, but to the people, it was hope. To the people, it was life. It was, to the people, it was, we're going to be victorious and God's going to win. And for a, a, a prophet Ezekiel who is on the people, who's constantly telling them of their sin, but in this moment of exile, he's turned and he's now saying, um, in the middle of punishment, there's restoration. God's got something for you. Um, here's this picture of, of the temple and what God's going to do. I want you to begin to think about the church as the temple. We are that, um, we are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, that he resides within us. Um, uh, the church is his presence in the world right now. And uh, we want to see these things happening in the church, where there's these courtyards where people are gathering, where there's people that are uh, uh, laying things on the altar and surrendering things, and where Jesus is at the very center and sitting on the throne. And... Uh, so, Lord Jesus, today um, we thank you for the picture that we're starting to experience. We thank you for the hope that it gives us. We thank you for the history that's uh, gone on through the Bible, that there were times when they walked with you and they walked in the promise and there were times when they walked away from you. And in the times of walking away and they found themselves in exile, that's when you came to them and said, I'm going to win and there's restoration I thank you for this picture of the temple. I thank you for what it represents, that it's your presence that's been with your people forever. We need your presence, God, in your temple, the church today. We want to walk in your presence. 
we also know that um, there's some uncertain times that are ahead. And Ezekiel's pointing them out. And he's you know, beginning to talk of, of, uh, of future things that, that we might walk through in our own life. Um, God, we trust you that you're the one that is, is the victor and you will win. And I pray, God, that uh, in the middle of moments of fear, that you would sit on the throne, that you would give us your peace. We give you our lives. We lay our lives on the altar today and declare that you sit on the throne. And that's just a picture of what we will do one day when we surround you and throw all of our crowns at your feet and declare that you deserve all the praise, the honor, and glory. So we love you. Encourage us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.